0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 439 of Sustainable Minimalists. This is a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing the why and how behind observing your thinking patterns. Oh, yes, we are. Now, before we get into that, I must say we actually have a three-part smorgasbord show today. Part one is we're wrapping up our no-spend reset, which happened last month in January. I have some thoughts. I asked you for all your thoughts. So we're going to do that before the interview. If you have no desire to wrap up the no-spend challenge, you can skip ahead a couple minutes, maybe to about minute six, and you'll get into the interview. So the no spend wrap up. That's part one. Part two is our interview on observing our thoughts. And then part three, after the interview, so that part where nobody usually listens, I really would love it if you listen today because I'm giving you some housekeeping issues on the future of this podcast. Things are a-changing around here, and so I hope you will stay until after the interview to hear all of that. Let's get into part one, which, of course, is the wrap-up from our No Spend Reset. If you joined us, it's February now, and I hope you gleaned an awful a lot of insight from your January. I know I did. <laughs> I gleaned a lot. I'll get to me in a little bit. But first, let's talk about all of you. I pulled you all on Instagram and on Facebook. How did it go? What did you learn? All the things. And the consensus seemed to be that all of you on a no spend reset, you were more likely to use up what you already had instead of going and purchasing more. That was a big insight that came through. We all have more stuff than we thought we had and using it up instead of buying new saves money. That was a big one. Another listener said that she started writing a wish list every time that the feeling to buy came up, so she put the item or items on her wish list. It was super helpful at helping her to wait to purchase, and now she says as she looks back at that list, now that we're in February, she's able to take some things off because they've lost their luster. She doesn't want them anymore. Another listener said that resetting their finances, so not spending on frivolous stuff in January, helped Her and her partner realized that they actually do make enough money to support a child. So now her and her spouse, they are moving forward with growing their family. Wow, what an insight. You actually can afford a child. Oh my goodness. Another listener said that lifestyle creep crept into her life and she didn't even know it. And So she said that things and purchases that she used to consider luxuries like Starbucks or takeout food have become in her mind, not in real life, but in her mind, necessities. And so the month then became a really great way to analyze lifestyle creep in her own life. And that's actually my big point, but I'm not done with all of you yet. So one second. And Denise emailed me too. another listener. She said that she was shocked when she added up her household savings. She saved a total of $381.80 just by not buying clothing, the cost of a class, fast food, and a couple other things. She said that the no spend was an eye opener and that just, again, thinking creatively and using alternative solutions instead of reaching for our wallets was what made her successful. And so for me too, the biggest eye opener, and if you follow me on Instagram, you probably already know this, but I had no idea how much my family was actually spending on food and drinks and snacks outside of the house. And so throughout the month, whenever my kids asked for a hot cocoa at the ski mountain or asked for, you know... Something at the gas station, a food, a candy or something, or every time that we were out of the house and it was lunchtime. When I, all these opportunities, when I otherwise would have purchased food if I had not been on a reset, I wrote down the cost, the approximate cost in a little note on my phone. By January 31st, I had saved $422 by simply not buying at all these opportunities to buy food and drinks outside of the home. I packed lunches like an absolute boss this month. There were, so we are a skiing family and we would go to the mountain and eat our peanut butter and jellies while everybody else is eating, you know, clam chowder and bread bowls and really phenomenal looking things. Uh, But at the end of the day, where we at the ski mountain to eat clam chowder and bread bowls and french fries? No, we were there to ski. And so bringing lunches from home, using food we already bought, spending zero money on food, didn't diminish the purpose of our ski days, right? We still had an awful lot of fun on the slopes. We just didn't spend money on food. And so for me, my takeaway from this month is, oh my goodness, we are in the habit of buying food and snacks outside of the house That needs to stop. So that's my big take-home. $400-something, $420-something a month that we could save, put in savings, and save up for some great experience. So that's where I'm moving forward into as we move into February and March. I also want to say, too, I didn't feel as though this was that heavy of a lift. There were some moments where I did feel as though I was depriving myself, but those moments were... Fleeting, because I was able to remind myself that not spending money was ultimately for my benefit. And so I hope you all felt the same. Perhaps you've learned something that you'll be taking into February with you. And now we're moving on to part two of today's conversation, which, of course, is our regularly scheduled interview. Today we are discussing the ways in which paying attention to our thinking patterns fits seamlessly within a life of intentional living. I'm speaking with Risa Williams. She is an author. She is a therapist. And she's here to give us the why and the how behind paying attention to our thoughts. It's important. Why is it important? And how do we start a practice of doing so? Risa,
1: I'm so thrilled to have you on the
0: show. How are you?
1: I'm great. It's raining here a lot in Los Angeles, and I'm hoping the internet holds up for this interview. But I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on. Why
0: don't we start by you telling us who you are and what you do?
1: I'm Risa Williams. I'm a licensed therapist here in Los Angeles. I'm a time management consultant, and I'm the book author of four books, including the Ultimate Toolkit book series, which is the Ultimate Time Management Toolkit, the Ultimate Anxiety Toolkit, and the Ultimate self-esteem toolkit, and I have a new book called The Procrastination Playbook coming out this year for anyone out there who needs help with procrastination. Do I also host The Motivation Mindset, which is a productivity podcast.
0: Can I just say, Risa, I read two of your books, and I love a good self-help book, but only if it doesn't have a bunch of random stories that I don't care about. I feel like (laughs) a lot of self-help books... I feel like the editor or the agent said, you gotta meet this certain number of words requirement. And so these self-help books put a lot of stories in that are only loosely related to what they're talking about. And I love your books because they get right to the point. I get the information that I need so that I can apply it to my life. Big plug for your books. Today, we're talking about our thinking patterns, paying attention to them. Our thoughts, spoiler alert, listeners, our thoughts are not always having our best interests in mind. So for those of us, Rita, who are interested and dedicated to living a life of intention, and I'm going to go on a limb and say that all of us are, I mean, this is an intentional living show. Why in your capacity as a therapist does paying attention to our thought patterns matter?
1: So we only have a limited amount of time and energy each day. And it's important if you're approaching life with intention and you're approaching your time with intention, that you're understanding what your thoughts are costing you. So going down a loophole where you're stressing yourself out or beating yourself up, it's costing you mental energy. It's costing you time. All these things have an effect on our mood, on how we're feeling physically, and on our focus on what we're going to do next. So learning to manage what you're going through internally, your stress levels, your thinking patterns, it all affects what you do externally, you know, from a productivity mindset, from a, how do I get things done? How do I achieve my goals? You know, we have to go inside first and get that stuff regulated and balanced so that we can approach things intentionally on the outside. Hmm.
0: Well, one thing I learned from your book is there's a difference between positive thinking and negative thinking. And listeners, I know as you hear me saying that, you're like, "Duh, <laughs> like yeah. obviously." But I guess I thought all thoughts were created equal, but that's probably and perhaps not true. And so, I saying that all to say that you know, as I was preparing for my discussion with you about observing our thoughts, being the observer. I had last week a really bad day, and mm-hmm. and I have them once in a while where my thoughts just spiral down into the negativity loophole. My thoughts were, you know, this podcast, my life work, like it sucks. Everybody hates it. I should just quit right now. It's horrible. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then I went on to comparing myself to others and especially other moms and oh my gosh other moms are doing so much better at parenting and I'm the worst mom and I feel so bad for my kids and like it just went on and on and then I'm the worst wife and I'm the worst this I'm just like the worst human to have ever hit earth and so <laughs> I all that to say like First of all, am I normal? Like, do do people other than me go down this negative spiral? That's question number one. Am I normal? And question number two is, what is happening to my brain when I just go down this shame negativity spiral? What is going on up there?
1: Yeah. So yes, that is completely normal. Most of us have a neural negativity bias. It's just the way our human brains are wired, unfortunately, to zoom in on the negative, to disregard the positive and kind of overly focus on the negative. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about it comes from our primitive brains where we had to be alert to dangers and you know things that might kill us, but in modern life, it's not helping us so much. This zooming in on negative things, holding on to them, over-ruminating on them, that kind of thing. So with your thoughts, there is a spectrum of thoughts. It's not all positive. It's not all negative. There's a lot in the middle. And what you want to start looking for and not be too overly critical about your thinking them is those really harsh negative thoughts where you're being unfair and unkind to yourself, where you're beating yourself up in a way that you wouldn't do to other people. And that's what we want to start to catch, you know, and also to realize there is a range of other thoughts to choose from. When we get to a really negative space where we're beating ourselves up a lot, our brains respond with stress. So, you're creating a stressful environment, you're releasing stress hormones into the body, you're releasing that cortisol and adrenaline. And it's making it hard to make decisions. It's making it hard to proceed. Our brains get locked up from the stress of it. So it will affect your brain. Thinking those thoughts has an effect on your brain and body. I think a lot of us have this weird notion that the thoughts we think about ourselves, like we can think whatever we want, and it won't have an effect because we're not saying it out loud to another person. But you're saying it to yourself, you are a person. And it's as though you're speaking to another person. Your body reacts in the same way. And once you learn that crucial bit of information, it might encourage you to be a little kinder to yourself. You might think, wow, if I said these words out loud to another person, it would be really, really harsh stuff. It would affect them in a very, you know, dramatic way. They'd probably feel very shut down or scared or, you know... Despair from what you're saying. So you're feeling those things too. And we can influence what we feel by just changing it a little bit. You don't have to shift way over to a super happy, positive place for it to have an incredible effect on your energy and your mood. You just have to move away from the harsh beating yourself up thoughts. Um, So I guess one way to look at it is just avoid going way to the deep end with that and you'll already see a big improvement in your mood. You don't have to think I'm the greatest person ever all the time to feel happy. You just have to not beat yourself up so much, if that makes sense. You have to remove the overly critical types of thoughts as much as possible, or at least neutralize them and see them from far and think that's not me. That's just a harsh thought I'm thinking. And that's where you begin.
0: So I'm on board, Risa. I hear you that these negative thoughts, especially when you're in the spiral, like it's not serving you. It's not helping you. It's not making the quality of your days better. It's not motivating you. Yeah. I hear all of that. But how, how do yeah. we stop ourselves from just being swept away? It's like a train off the rails. How do we say, I'm not getting on that train
1: <laughs> that's going somewhere yeah. else." Well, you have to find a little bit of space in your thoughts. Look at the thought a little more. It's not you. It's just a thought. It's just a chemical state of your brain in that moment, right? And think, this is a harsh thought I'm thinking. Do I want to continue down this path? What is another way to look at this? I have a tool in the book called the evidence investigator, which helps with this, where you look at things and you kind of tease it out. Is there evidence to support this thought? You know, is this a real thing that is happening right now? Or is this just a catastrophe I'm creating in my own brain? Is this an imaginary movie, disaster movie I'm playing out in my brain? I like your emphasis
0: on finding evidence because if you don't know, now you know our brains do not always tell the truth, they lie to us. Yeah. I have had multiple instances in my life in which I've caught myself. Telling myself thoughts that are completely untrue. Just as an example, one time, you know, I had an injury. I was, I had a running injury. Running is a big part of my life. It was in the grand scheme of running injuries, not all that serious, but I had bent down to pick something up and the injury, you know, screamed at me. It flared. <laughs> I felt it. My brain immediately said, as so I'm like, Kneeling down to pick something up off the floor, and my brain says to me, Oh, there's the injury. Guess you'll never run again. Yeah. And I will never forget this moment, Risa, because I popped back up and I thought to myself, Wait a minute, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> I've had way worse running injuries and I've always found my way back to running. This is not exactly. true. Yeah. Why am I saying this to myself? It's not, it's not doing anything for me. It's not, Helping my well-being. It's not helping my recovery. It's doing nothing for me. This thought yeah. is doing nothing for me. And so, again, spoiler alert, listeners, our brains are not always having our best interests in mind. I guess I want to talk to you about your thoughts on uh, the strategy you call instant replay, which is that mental replaying of our negative histories, our greatest mistakes, our negative situations in the past, because whatever we're deciding to instantly replay on the screen of our brain, um, that does affect our well-being. It affects the way we feel. And so my question here is, yeah, it's easy to just say, oh, I should change the channel, right? Because yeah. this is negative and it's, you know, bringing me down. However, I'm wondering. Should we ever be replaying some of those demons from our past, some of those traumas from our past, so that we can unearth them and then heal? Like, there's a disconnect between just never feeling anything or never, like, thinking anything bad, ne- never replaying any negative memories, versus doing it too much and just living in that space. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's important to realize that there is a spectrum of thoughts, right? It's not all very negative, catastrophic thoughts, and it's not super positive thoughts about how incredible we are. It is a range, and we're trying to find maybe moving ourselves to the middle more before we can move to the higher end of the scale. So it's about walking yourself over to the happier thoughts But first, you have to go through the neutral thoughts, which is just state the facts. You know, it is what it is. Here's the situation. Here's what's going on. I'm in pain. I'm running. I'm a little worried about that. We state the facts without adding a catastrophe or a layer of beating ourselves up. So I have a phrase, just the facts. Just state the facts and then leave some space and see where your brain goes next. And another question you could ask yourself in that moment is, is this thought helping me or hindering me? Because the answer will come to you right away. This thought is hindering me. This thought is holding me back. This thought is making me feel terrible. Do I want to think it right now? And then if you have a concern or a worry that is repeating itself a lot, what is a small action I can take right now? Is there a small action I can take right now? And if there isn't, can we let the thought go? Because our mind is like a busy train station. I talk about this in the Ultimate Anxiety Toolkit. The thoughts come and go like trains. Which one are you going to choose to get on? Whatever thought you, like if it's a train, whatever train of thought you choose to get on leads you to a different emotional destination. So are you going to get on the train that's doom and gloom and worry and like, oh God, everything's falling apart? or are you going to take a second and get on a different train where maybe you could say, I'm figuring this out. Let's see where it goes. I'm going to take it one thing at a time and move, move on from there.
0: I love that analogy, Risa. That is so good. Like, Oh, there's so many trains coming into the station. It's a a busy place, but like sometimes it feels good to get on the bad train. (laughs)
1: Sometimes it feels good to get on the negativity train. It is oh. a good tool, the the train station tool, because we want to learn to pause before we decide where we're going emotionally, like have a strategy. These types of thoughts are not going to lead me to a good place. It's going to maybe mess up my day. It's going to ruin my intention for what I'm doing with the next segment of time. It's going to make it hard to get through that next appointment or in terms of thinking intentionally. I need to decide where my mental energy is going in a more intentional way because I only have so much energy, especially as a busy mom or a busy person. You know, we don't have a lot of time to go on those trains to the doom and gloom sometimes, right? Like life is pushing us forward. We have to focus on where we need to go next. So it's not about suppressing those thoughts. I think we need to think them and we need to acknowledge when things are bad or uncomfortable. We don't want to stuff those down. But we also need to think, okay, I've now thought this through. I feel really bad about that. What is the next action I can take to not feel bad? Or what is the next thing I can do? And if there isn't a thing I can do, can I let this go for now and see what happens next? Uh,
0: I really love this metaphor. So I'm going to just say it out loud because I'm an extrovert. And my (laughs) thoughts, like as I'm making... Coherent thoughts, they come out my mouth as they're coming. That's what an extrovert does. (laughs) So I think a lot of us think that we are our thoughts, but that's actually not true. Our thoughts, as per Mm -hmm. your metaphor there, our thoughts are trains coming in and pulling out of the station. They're going all different directions. They're going here, there, and everywhere. We're not the thoughts. The thoughts are the trains. We are the person standing on the whatever that is, the platform. And we get to decide which train takes us away. Hello, Sustainable minimalists listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle
1: you have a choice. You always do. So I guess it's like, that's where we find our power is remembering we have a choice. You know, you don't always have to listen to the noise, the, the clutter in our minds that's going on and see it as truth and reality and dig down in it. You can step back and get that space. You can look at it from a distance and say, whoa, it's really busy in my mind today. What's going on in there? What's stirring me up? You know, and where do I want to go next? I think The main thing I teach people is, what is the emotional place you want to move to? I get where we are now, right? Like now we're feeling frustrated and stressed. Where do we want to get to next? What is the next emotional place? And if you saw things through that lens, you would make different choices, right? Like in the next hour, I want to be calmer. I want to feel more relaxed. I want to unwind a little and let things go. Okay, so what do I need to do with my thoughts to get me to that place? And this is why, you know, sometimes when people go on vacation, they think it's magic. Like they'll just end up on a beach in Hawaii and they're going to feel all those feelings. Well, we haven't practiced those feelings. So you're going to take whatever stressful state you're in to the beach in Hawaii unless you are actively bringing your stress down. Like, just because you go on vacation or go to get a massage or a spa doesn't mean we're gonna connect with those feelings because we haven't paved the way in our brain to feel them. And it's very simple to start to do that. You could think, oh, in the next hour, I'm gonna drink a cup of tea and look out at the rain that's happening behind me, and I'm gonna bring the stress down a little bit. You know, I'm gonna start to intentionally... Change what train I'm getting on because the train I'm on now is leading to stress, frustration, you know, mm. that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And something else I learned from your book, Risa, that really struck me was that for a lot of us, myself included, I'm usually waiting for some external thing, like some positive thing to happen in my life or maybe i get some praise or maybe something good goes my way and then i take those things and then i internalize it to you know make my day good right to have positive thoughts but you make the argument and it makes total sense that we should not be waiting for something outside of us external praise or uh external goodness to happen that's not a good and effective strategy for tweaking our thinking long-term. So can you speak more on that? Like, why is it important that we, number one, yes, observe our thoughts, which we've been talking about, but number two, take control of our thoughts instead of like hoping something good happens in our lives?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well- it's exactly that, right? It's not sustainable to wait around for praise to feel motivated and good about yourself. Because as you know, as you get older, like, it's not like people are dumping huge amounts of praise and compliments on you all the time. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's rare, right? Like, it's, it's really rare. So if I'm going to wait for someone to tell me I'm doing a good job to feel motivated to take the next step, I'm going to be waiting a really long time. It might not happen this week, right? So from a practical point of view, you need to generate that for yourself. You are a person who can tell you those things that you need to hear right now. You're doing a good job. You're taking those little steps. Small steps add up. You're figuring it out. You're you're moving yourself forward. The things you would say to your own kid, we should be telling to ourselves all the time. And remember because we tend to think a lot of negative thoughts each day, and we can't help it because we're human, we need to generate that kind of motivational self-talk just to balance out the negative talk, right? We're not even talking about a surplus. We're talking about just balance it out. So even if all day long, I'm saying, you know, I did a good job. I finished that podcast. We had some internet issues, but I got through it. I did a good job. I showed up. I did what I could. I'm moving on to the next thing. Let's see what's next. I would talk to myself like a kid, and that would make me kind of calm down. My nervous system would bring the stress down a little bit. I can go into the next segment of time now feeling a little more motivated. We're not talking about a huge boost, but we're talking about like I'm getting through these segments of time, and I'm not letting the stress build so that at the end of the day, I'm beating myself up and thinking about all the things I did wrong. I've kind of kept a firm, stable support system inside myself going. So I'm not having these huge ups and downs and these emotional waves hitting me at the end of the day because, you know, I wasn't hearing that praise. Nobody said, hey, good job doing that. You know, and honestly, praise is great. I wish we all gave more of it and got more of it. Unfortunately, since most humans are walking around stressed out, thinking negative thoughts about themselves, they're not exactly, you know, in the place to generate this for other people a lot of the time, right? So I think to see it more practically, waiting around for that stuff is going to mean that you're not feeling it as much. If you want to feel those feelings, you need to practice them now. And you're the person who can give you those feelings because you're here now and you're capable of it. You just have to take it in little stages and not expect yourself to feel huge bursts. Of confidence from the get go, it takes a lot of time to build that muscle. It's like training anything, you know. A year from now, if you're practicing these things, you're going to be feeling a lot better consistently than you were before. But it does take time and an effort and a little more conscious, deliberate action of not letting yourself go down those rabbit holes.
0: Mm. You said so much there, Risa, that I want to just. Emphasize number one is uh, adults, or at least this adult, me, me as an adult, I get almost no positive praise in my daily life.
1: The truth, right? Like, let's just be honest adults are not walking around praising each other all the time, it's not happening, it's really not. And I mean,
0: like, I think about my kids, they get praised for tying their shoes, they get praised for getting out the door on time, they get praised for eating. Their salad. Like they get praised for everything. Um, I get almost no praise, but I get an awful lot of criticism. And I don't think this is just me. I think this, this is, is adulthood. Grown-ups. Right. Yeah. And that's so why it, adulting is so hard. <laughs> yeah. And so if we're waiting for some external source of like goodness or happiness or well being or positivity, what we're really doing then is we're taking our well being and we're giving it to somebody
1: else. We're putting it in their hands. And so that is not refilling our own battery. So you are depleted. You're giving out all these praise and compliments to your kids from a depleted place. You have not replenished that for yourself. And we can give more of that to other people if our own Place is coming from abundance, right? Like if we're talking to ourselves in such a positive way, it's naturally gonna spill out onto other people. We'll see someone doing something awesome and we'll be the first person to be like, oh, good job, because we're talking to ourselves in that way. So the way you talk to yourself influences how you're gonna be talking to other people. And here's a key point, what you're going to hear, because people do compliment us sometimes. We actually won't even hear it if we haven't practiced telling ourselves nice things. So if you do want to hear those compliments that are rare, when you get them and fully feel it, like somebody says you did a good job, do you feel it? Do you say, yeah, you know, I think I did okay. Or do you say, no, no, I made a bunch of mistakes and you brush the compliment aside. So with that compliment, you've been waiting for months to hear and now you're not accepting it. And I'd say that's the problem I see with many grownups ups They want compliments. They want praise. When they get them, they deny them. They reject them. They brush them aside. They tell themselves, no, I didn't deserve that. They didn't mean it. I didn't do a good job. And so we're back at square one. Our brain has gotten no praise for doing any of the things that were hard for it to do. Yeah. So
0: we've touched on affirmations, but I really want to drill down on them because I feel like affirmations get a lot of attention in 2024, but they also seem really kind of, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, like, ap- mm-hmm. like oh, like, let's tell ourselves how great we are because we're not yeah. getting it from other people. It
1: just kind of seems ridiculous. I don't know what the best A lot of people don't connect with it. It feels cheesy for them to do. And they haven't practiced a version of it that feels okay to them. So that it's just your brain is going to reject it. So it doesn't do much good to say an affirmation to yourself. If you're not emotionally connecting with it, you're just saying words. It's like saying any words. Your brain doesn't know where to file it emotionally. Mm. So if you're telling yourself, I'm great, I'm wonderful. You don't believe it. You don't feel that feeling it's not going to have an effect on your mood, right? And so, this is where people get really frustrated with affirmation. What I told myself I was great, I feel terrible. Why isn't it working? First of all, (laughs) these things take time. Second of all, it's not like a genie in a bottle. You can't just say it once and now you're confident, right? (laughs) Second, it might be what you're saying to yourself. So, in my book, I go for more gentle, neutral types of phrases So we move away from this feeling like everything has to be extreme. I have to tell myself I'm this amazing person, which I don't believe. No, you can just say, you know, you're figuring things out. You're doing a good job today learning something new. Mm -hmm. I highlight lifelong learning. If you embrace that, if you think I'm never done learning, I'm never going to be perfect. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep making mistakes and growing from them. And that's life. That's the life journey. So if that was your philosophy, how would you talk to yourself differently? It changes the way you would say things to yourself. Something
0: that is real in my life is that I don't celebrate my small wins or my small successes or things that I do that other people, like if they were looking in on my life, they'd be like, whoa, she's rocking it. Yeah, Uh, I don't I don't celebrate them for myself. So I've talked about running before. Like, I'll just go with that analogy. But like over the weekend, you know, I did a long run. I ran way more miles than an average person would run in a whole week. But I did it in one sitting. And my thought was, okay, it's over. Let's just move on to the next thing. But I'm working on saying, like, holy moly, Stephanie, you're a freaking rock star. You just ran 16, 18, 20 miles. Good for you. And like, take the 30 seconds and really absorb the pride. Essentially, I think it is the pride of doing something. And it and running 16, 20 miles like isn't a big deal for me because I do it all the time. But it's a big deal. And so I say that to say to other people, like maybe you just did this amazing presentation at work for a hundred people and you think to yourself, oh, that's not a big deal. I do that all the time. I personally, as somebody who sits in her pajamas all day in her house, like, I think that's a big deal. So what would you say to somebody else who just did that for the first time? You should be saying that to yourself. Like, oh my goodness. You rocked it. Good job. We all need to be celebrating our small successes because they're not
1: small to other people and they're only small to us because we're doing them. Do you agree with that? Of course. I mean, I'm all about the small wins. I think we need to look at praise. I think people, especially a lot of women I work with, have a strange relationship with praise. Mm. There's a feeling in this especially in our culture, like I can't accept praise. I'm going to look conceited. I don't want to make people feel bad and whatever. We internalize all sorts of weird beliefs about praise. I want to move you away from that by just looking at it as kindness to yourself. It's just being kind to yourself. You just did a really hard and stressful thing that was hard for your body, hard for your brain. Be kind to your brain and body. Tell your brain, hey, thanks for getting me through that. That was really cool. That was hard. We did it. I got a little stressed out, but I did it. I got to the end of it. So you don't even have to wait till you're running a marathon to tell yourself this. This could just be you did the dishes tonight and that was hard after a long day of work yeah. and you did it. Give yourself a pat on the back. It's kindness. What is wrong with being kind? What is wrong with being kind to yourself? Look at how kind you are to other people. You deserve that too. We're all worthy of our own kindness. If we can be kind to other people, we can be kind to ourselves. We can always be working on that muscle. And really just practice the feelings you want to feel. You want to feel more confident. You want to feel more relief. You want to feel like joy that you did the thing you set out to do. We need to practice it. And the best way to start is with the little things you don't have a lot of resistance towards. I did that load of laundry. I got my kids to school. I helped them with their homework. I wrote this page in the next book I'm writing, whatever. The little things are the way you build that muscle up. So when you get to the big thing, like running the marathon, you actually feel proud of yourself. We have practiced the feeling you wanted to feel.
0: Mm, Yes, I love that. (laughs) We need to be, instead of looking for kindness outside of ourselves, instead of waiting for people to be kind to us and build ourselves up, we have the ability, we have the capability as human beings to build ourselves up. We don't need to wait for anybody else. So I love that. Well, Risa, what a conversation.
1: I am not going down any more negative
0: spirals.
1: (laughs) Well, if you do, you're human. It's okay. You just start again. You always have the chance to try again. I'm going to just take
0: another train next time. So tell (laughs) us where can we find more of you and all of your goodness online, but also your books. Tell us where we can find them.
1: So you can find everything about me at risawilliams.com. That's R-I-S-A Williams dot com. My books are there. I sell planners. I have a goal setting journal out. I run goal setting groups. We meet once a month. If you want to come work with me, get a dose of positivity and some support from really awesome people. You can sign up for that. And you can um, watch the video classes I teach on self-esteem tools, time management, and other things. And be sure to check out my podcast, The Motivation Mindset, because I talk about all the tools from my books. I have people try them out in real life to see how they work and what doesn't work and, you know, how to custom tailor them in different ways for different types of people.
0: Thank you so much, Risa. You gave me a lot of tangible tips that I can bring into my own life, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for
1: having me on the show. It was so much fun.
0: Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 439. You can find everything you need there. And now let's get into part three of today's show, which is the future of this podcast. Things are going to be changing. And so before I tell you how things are going to change, I want to talk to you about how this show makes money. And I'm going to give you numbers. So sit back, relax, buckle up. Podcasts make money by airing advertisements. You know this is not a shock to anyone, right? And the industry standard in terms of payouts used to be $25 for 1,000 downloads, so a podcast that has a 1,000 listeners, is downloaded a 1,000 times, would make $25 off of airing a 60-second ad in the middle, okay? A show of this size, so about 10,000 listeners an episode, a show this size would theoretically in a perfect world make $250 off of one 60-second ad. The really big shows, so the Joe Rogans of the podcasting world, let's say they have 100,000 listeners, they'd be making $2,500 off of an ad. That used to be the industry standard. But these days, guess what? That industry standard of $25 per 1,000 downloads, that number keeps getting pushed lower and lower and lower. These days, the offers that I'm receiving from brands are coming in at around $19, $17. And so an ad that used to, let's just say, made me $250, it's now making me $190 or $170. So it's the same spot. The brand is still getting exactly the same as they used to get for $25. (laughs) And I'm still doing the same amount of work on my end, But this show, which, by the way, has a lot of bills, (laughs) this show keeps taking home less and less. It's making less and less money. So I do not know what the basement is. Like if we're playing limbo, how low can you go? I don't know how low that number is going to get. But this show simply cannot (laughs) financially. We cannot financially stick around to find out. And so let me just say, too, about that 25 number. Okay, used to be 25, now it's 19, 17. I'm getting offers for 17, $16. Well, let's not forget too that there is a middle agency in there that's taking... 30%. So a $19 CPM, it's called a CPM. When you take 30% out of there, that's $5.70-ish cents. So the agency ends up taking $57 and my take-home for airing that 60-second ad, the show's take-home, becomes $133. So what are the real-life implications here for you, the listener, Right? Podcasters like me are now being forced to essentially suffocate you, the listener, with ad upon ad upon ad just to make what we used to make. So we're not making more. We're not making millions. (laughs) We're just trying to make what we made last year. And the only way we can make what we made last year is by airing more and more ads. This is bad for you because I'm pretty sure you don't want to listen to four ads in the middle of a podcast, right? I don't, as I listen to podcasts and I don't want to do that. It's also bad for me as a minimalist podcaster, right? I see the hypocrisy. I'm not blind to it. And it's also bad for the growth of this show or any show. Listeners want quality content, they don't want ad after ad after ad. Listeners do not want to be suffocated with ads. All right. So there's the numbers part. There's the why. Now, Let's get into the what. I have long resisted becoming a subscriber-only show. I don't have a Patreon. I don't I don't have anything to sell you. But the podcast industry is changing, and therefore this show needs to change as well <laughs> if it's going to stay in business. So nothing's happening tomorrow, but this is what's going to happen. Tuesday's show is going to stay as is. Tuesday's show will stay free for everyone, just as it is now. It will have ads in it. Okay. Thursday's shows are going to be pivoting to subscriber only. So $4 or $5 a month for four ad free, keyword ad free, no ads shows every single month. So that's a dollar to a dollar 25 a show. You can decide or not if you think that an ad free show is worth a dollar of your hard-earned money. That's a personal choice, and I totally hear both sides of that argument. So same quality on Thursday's episodes, same content, but no ads. I'm not sure yet what we're doing with headlines. Stay tuned for that, but that's what it's looking like this show is gonna pivot to. So again, Tuesday's show stays as is and free, but full of ads. Thursday's show becomes subscriber only. Now, I feel like this is a good balance because I do want to offer free content for people who are not in a place to pay $5 a month. I hear that. This show is for you. And if I put it all behind a paywall, an awful lot of you aren't going to get the content. Now, if you have strong opinions on any of this, I really do truly need and not want. I need to hear from you because, again, this is your show. I'm here to serve you. And so I'm looking at this as the time for public comment. You can email and DM the heck out of me. I truly do want to hear from you. I might not write back right away, but I will read them all. And that reminds me, this potential major change to the show, it's not going to happen until at least March. So free listening three times a week until then. So Let me know what your thoughts are. I want to know. Um, I truly want to know. Even if you say, hey, Stephanie, this is a horrible idea. As long as you say it in a respectful way, I'm open to it. (laughs) So I'll be back on Thursday. We're airing another interview on Thursday. I'll see you then and take care.